This is one of those messages that like, I've just wrestled with all week because it's one, every time I get up here, I, I feel the weight of, of preaching the word of God to try to tell people what God's word says in a way that's true to it and accurate and theologically and doctrinally sound. Uh, I hope you know, as your pastor, I, I don't take that at all lightly. Uh, and I know that I'm going to have to give God an account for every sermon I've ever preached and every word I've ever said. And, and there's Sundays um, where I come off this platform and I'm like, man, did I say that right? I could have said that better. And I came off the platform at nine o'clock feeling that weight and feeling like, man, I got to make sure I say this clearer the next time than I did the first time. Because it, what I'm going to talk about today, I, I deeply believe to be true, and that if we don't understand this as followers of Jesus, it can lead to some really poor theology and doctrine, and those two things are important. I know you come in here, and it looks like our church is, is, is contemporary and all this kind of stuff, but we don't preach fluff in this place. I hope y'all know that. Uh, we want to teach the truth of the God's Word, even when it's uncomfortable and even when it's not easy. Say amen. Come on. And today's kind of one of those days. It's part five of a series that we're calling Promises, where this year, as we've moved into 2023, we've rallied around this word, believing this to be absolutely true, that you will never consistently submit to a God you don't completely trust. You will never consistently submit to a God you don't completely trust, that it's a trust issue, that more than just mere belief in God or affection for God, he's invited us to trust him. That's what faith in its essence is. It's trust. It's a demonstration of trust that's, that's evidenced in our obedience and our willingness to walk with him in every situation of life. He wants you to trust him with everything. He wants you to trust him. He's calling you to trust him. And until you trust him or when you trust him, that's when things begin to shift. You can believe that there's some distant God out there that created things. You can even have some measure of affection for him. But when you say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you every day with everything. I'm going to trust you with my career. I'm going to trust you with my marriage. I'm going to trust you with my money. I'm going to trust you with my kids. I'm going to trust what your word says is true, even when my emotions don't want to follow it. I'm going to trust what your word says is true, even when everybody in my culture is flowing against the grain of it. I'm going to trust you, God. Because that's, God's looking for people to trust him, not just, not just blindly follow him, but completely trust him. Come on. And I've submitted to you that the enemy, our enemy, the devil, he's not scared of people who, who just believe in God. The enemy fears one who trusts God, not one who merely believes he exists. Because I've said it before, I've said it every week in this series, you could, the devil knows more than anything that God is real. And his game throughout scripture is not just to destroy belief. He wants to erode trust and he'll use anything he can to keep you from trusting God. He'll use the circumstances of your life. He'll come to you and say, how can you trust a God that would? How can you trust a God if? Because he just doesn't want you to trust him. Because when you trust him, things shift, things begin to change. It begins to move you into experiencing the beauty and goodness of God. And so this, this whole series has been trying to convince or remind us that, that he can be trusted. Because I know, we, we all, if you've been alive for more than five seconds, you've got trust issues. Come on. Somebody's let you down. Somebody's made a promise and broken it. Some of us, we grew up in a home where dad always said one thing and did another. 
where we watched people all around us, the people that were supposed, the people that were supposed to love us, love us the most were the people that we could trust the least. And that feeling gets projected on God, whether we realize it or not. And I wanted to just remind us that, that he, he's faithful. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He can be trusted. And we talked about that in week one. And then week two, we talked about this powerful thing called covenant. If, you have, if you're new to our church and you weren't here for that message or something, go back and listen to it, part two of this series, where we talk about the covenant. That, that this book is all about covenant, the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. That God has offered us an invitation to live in covenant relationship with him, made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. And there's so much beauty and benefits to this covenant relationship when you understand, for what, understand it for what it is. And once you see the, the covenant that God has ushered in with us and you start looking through all of Scripture through this covenantal lens, it changes the way you perceive the Bible in every way. Say amen if it did that for you. It changes the way that you see this relationship. He can be trusted. But last week, we, we flipped it a little bit. And we said, we, we know he can be trusted, but can you? Can you be trusted? Because let's be honest. The reason why a lot of people don't trust God is because they can't trust people who claim to trust God. The reason why a lot of people can't trust God is because they can't trust people who claim to trust God because we've been hypocritical, we haven't been truthful, we've been inconsistent, we haven't kept our word, that people who follow Jesus should be people who follow through that we should tell the truth, even when it's uncomfortable and it's not easy, that we should do what we say and say what we mean and align our beliefs and our behavior in a way that points people to a God who can be trusted. But last week, we looked at a verse that created a a new lane that we need to run down for a little while today. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it's verse 13. We were because this is a verse that a lot of us lean, or a lot of people lean into. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And that verse, like a lot of times when we just cherry pick a verse out of scripture and we don't look at it in its contest, context, we can take it and force it into a meaning that we like instead of a meaning that he intended. A lot of us think, well, that means that God is going to bless me, throw favor on my life, independent of anything I ever say or do. Come on, y'all know that's how we've took that from time to time. Well, you know, he's faithful even when I'm faithless. And what we've projected is somehow that that the essence of that verse is do what you want, say what you want, live any old way you want, and God's going to shower you with favor, he's going to shower you with blessing, and he's going to just do all these things. And I would submit to you, I don't think that's what he meant. Matter of fact, if you you look in the overall context of, of that verse, there's some things that are said in there that precede that that are super important. It's not going to be on the screen. That's why I asked you to pull up in your Bible. If you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, just move up to verse, let's start at verse 11, where Paul tells Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. 
Then he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful and he cannot disown himself. There was a lot of other ifs that preceded the if that we like the most. And it leads us to this, to this reckoning that we have to come to that, that God will always do what he said he would no matter what. The question is, sometimes we're expecting God to do something he never said he would. And there is a lot that God said that he would do, look at me, if we would do. See, there's this concept uh, uh, that we have to wrestle with of what's, what's unconditional and what's conditional. And these are two words that, that, that we struggle with when it comes to God and scripture. What's, what's unconditional and what's conditional? What, what is God going to do and no matter what? And, and what is dependent on other things? And now look, I know God is sovereign. God in his sovereignty does what he wants, what he wants, how he wants. He can, he's God. And there are some things in scripture that God says, this is what I'm going to do no matter what you do. It's unconditional. It's independent of any action or anything that, that mankind does. I was reminded of one of those promises last weekend when before anybody got here, really, before we were just doing run through, we were about to kind of go through our pre-gathering and Marcel came in. She said, dude, did you see that rainbow outside? And I walked out and y'all, we took a picture of it. There's this rainbow that's going up and around and kind of landing on our church. You're going to see it in just a minute. Maybe. There it is. Do you see it? We're the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, y'all. It's like it just kind of landed. Now, I know that like I, anyway, it reminded me like number one of, of God's favor and provision over the life of our church and just all the cool things that God has done. But it also reminded me that serves as a symbol that God gave Noah regarding an unconditional promise after the flood. Remember in Genesis? Genesis chapter nine, verse 11. God says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all of life be destroyed by the waters of flood, and never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's an unconditional promise of God. And that rainbow was set in the sky by God as a reminder of that unconditional promise, that no matter what happens from this point forward, I'm, I'm never, I promise I'm never going to do this again. But I would submit to you, that many, if not most, of the promises of God are conditional. That littered throughout the scriptures are if-then promises. That more often than not, what God promises to do is preceded by something he is asking of us. If-then. That all throughout the Bible, there's moments God says, if you will do this, if you will by faith, in faith, because you trust me, know me, love me, if you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. That this is more often the case in scripture than we want to admit or realize. And some of us are mad at God because we haven't done the, 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 the we haven't experienced the then, but he's looking at us and waiting for us to walk in the if. That God says, if you will execute the if, then you will experience the then. Y'all follow me? I know this is a lot of like word salad, but I promise it's true and it's good and it's awesome. 
There's if and then. That more often than not, it's an if and a then. There's, some, there's a prerequisite to the promise. I would even submit to you that's true about salvation. There is an if that precedes the then. We've been studying life of Abraham, right? When we introduced him, we're Abram. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6? It says, Abram believed the Lord, and then it was credited to him as righteousness. That that credited, the, the then of credited as righteousness was preceded by the belief that Abraham, Abram decided to believe. And that decision to believe ushered in all the things that would happen next. He said he believed God. He trusted God. Look at me. The next few things I'm going to say, you need to listen really intently because if you miss a word, you may misconstrue what I'm trying to say. We are without doubt saved by grace through faith. Say amen. We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. That if we have faith, we experience the grace that leads to salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If, somebody say if. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Do you see it? I know you don't see the word then, but it's implied because of that, that if If you declare with your mouth, say it again. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That there is an if that is required to experience the then. And every if in the Bible requires faith. That we have to have enough faith to believe that Jesus is the son of God, the one and only son of God sent to this planet as an atonement for our sins. And we need to recognize we need that atonement. We needed his death. We need his resurrection to be made right. In faith, if we believe that, then we get to experience the grace and power of salvation afforded to us by the work of Jesus Christ. If and then, if and then. That this is a, a pattern of how God accomplishes his purpose and promise in our lives that's woven all throughout scripture that we have to, there's a prerequisite. There's things that we have to do to usher it in. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Even John is clarifying that there was a necessity on the part of humanity of belief and faith in order to become children of God. Remember how John opens his gospel, John chapter one, verses 11 through 13. He came to that which his own, which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. This is not a do and earn, but it is a decide and receive. There is something that we must do in faith, through faith, by faith to receive his grace and his salvation ushered into our lives with the power and presence that comes with it. Tell me, let me know if I'm making sense. I know this, this is really important, church. 
Because if we don't understand this, we don't get this right, we can, we can turn it into something really outside of what it's supposed to be. And as a preacher, I'm up here today trying to figure out all the ways you could go on a, on a wrong turn. I'm trying to set obstacles to keep you from going that way and misunderstanding what I'm trying to get us to all understand, that there is, in God's word, woven into most, if not very many of his promises, there's an if that ushers us into the then. And some of us are mad at God because we're not experiencing the then when we're not walking in the if. And this is, but this can go sideways in a hurry where we can turn this into a works-based gospel where it's about what we do and we earn it. And that is not at all what I'm saying. And we have to walk in this tension of faith and works and grace and the ifs and the thens and make sure they're, they're defined properly or it can get really sideways. There's two passages in scripture that some people look at and it has created tension and division among the church for centuries. It's Romans 3.28 when you lay it beside James 2.24. And if you don't understand what each of these men are trying to communicate to the church, it can lead to some really weird theology. Because if you look at it, Romans, Paul says to the Roman church in Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Then we have James saying, we see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And at first glance, it may seem like these two men are contradicting each other, but they're not. You say, man, that's really hard to see. The word justified here, justified is just like so many other words. It can mean more than one thing. There's the justified that means made right. And then there's just the justifies in proof. As improved, it shows proof. And what Paul is saying is we're made right by faith. And what James is saying, that the faith that you have is seen in what you do. That the kind of faith that Paul's talking about in Romans 3, 28, the kind of faith that saves you is faith that's evidenced in your life. In other words, it's faith that's not just declared with your mouth, it's faith that's demonstrated by your life that leads to salvation. That it's not the means by which you earn it, it's the evidence of it. That what you do does not earn your salvation, but when you get saved, it changes what you do. Am I making sense? This is the part that's super important that I hope I clarify properly. That what James was trying to say is, yes, you're, you're saved by faith, but faith is something more than you just say with your mouth. To claim to believe in God is so much more than just, oh, I believe in God. Now, what James is saying, if you claim to believe in God, if you claim to trust him, if you claim to love him, if you claim to have a desire to walk with him, it will be seen, it will be evidenced by the fruit of your life. That that fruit doesn't earn it, it's the evidence of it by the spirit working in you because you receive Jesus as your savior. It's really important that if you know Jesus if you've accepted him as your savior, if you've trusted him for salvation, then you've had the Holy Spirit. And if you've done all that, then the byproduct of that is God has made you new. He has regenerated your life and he is producing new things in you that weren't there before. If then, y'all with me? If then. I'm trying to help us see that there's this if and there's then that what James was trying to say, 
is faith without, faith without deeds is dead. Claiming to believe in Jesus and there's no fruit of it in your life is a faith that's hollow. He wasn't trying to contradict Paul. What he was trying to do is clarify the kind of faith that Paul believed in and James believed in as well. A real, authentic, genuine faith that's seen in the fruit of their lives. And why are these two men so desperately trying to help us understand this? Is because this is what Jesus said. The reason why James wants to drive this point home is because James is the baby brother of Jesus who had a front row seat to all that Jesus did, but struggled to have faith in him until after the resurrection, history tells us. But he more than likely heard these things that Jesus said to remind us that says, if you claim this about Christ, then this is what's evident in your life if you truly believe it. Look at John chapter eight. See, this idea of if and then was one that's woven, look at me, it's woven through Jesus's teaching. John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you see it? If then. What about John 13, 17? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them, that if you do them, then the potential of blessing comes. If, then. John chapter 14, verses 15, 16, and 17. If you love me, then keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth, that if you love me, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, this is how I'm going to know you love me. Not just because you say it. None of us believes that anybody loves us just because they say it. Somebody says they love you and then they treat you like crap. Do you really believe they love you? Come on. Nobody does. God says, if you love me, just say it. No, he says, if you love me, if you really love me, if you genuinely, authentically love me, then keep my commands. Because God would say to you, every command he's given you is because he loves you. There's not a single thing that God said to do that isn't in the ultimate end for your benefit, for your protection, for your preservation, for your peace, for your joy. God, does, God has never said something is off limits for no reason. There's a reason God has never deemed anything sinful just to keep. It's not for your limitation. It is for your protection. That he said, this is what you do and this is what you don't do. This is how you live. This is how you treat people. This is how you walk. This is what's true. This is what's a lie. And he says, if you love me, walk in my teaching, like submit to it surrender to it. That if you really love me, you'll do more than just say it with your mouth. It'll be evidenced in your life. It's woven all throughout Jesus's teaching. If then John 15 verses one through eight, I'm the true vine and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It's got to remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and it withers and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Do you see it? If, if you remain in me, if you remain close to me, if you stay in my word, if you hold my truth, not just in your heart, but may it be manifested in the way that you live your, if then, if you stay close, if you do this, if you execute in faith and by faith, if you trust me, enough to believe that my way is the only way and walk in it, then this is what you'll experience. And this is what I promise. Look at me. God will always do his then when we own our if. But you got to be careful because you want to twist God's then into something he didn't intend. Well, now, God, you said if I gave to the church, I'd win the lottery. No, he didn't. Well, God, you said if. See, sometimes we, we, we take these thens and we turn them into something that God didn't intend and it's driven out of our flesh. And when that happens, I would submit to you, you've drifted away from the if and you're walking in your own flesh. Like even there's promises, well, God said he would give the desires of your heart. When you're close to him, he changes the desire of your heart and aligns it with him and then puts you in a position where you're starting to pray in alignment with his will so that you can't experience in your life. Like you got, you got to read the whole verse. You got to read the whole Bible. You got to understand it all because you can easily turn this into a way that you believe you can leverage to manipulate God. And let me just go ahead and say, this doesn't work. You don't get to look at God and say, if you will, then I will. That does, that's not how this works. He's God. He gets to dictate terms because you know, you've done it. Well, God, if you will, then I will. I'm waiting on you. God, if, if you let me win the lottery, I'll donate half to the church. We will take it. I will not ask the question. <laughs> but y'all, we've all done this little game with God, haven't we? God, if you will just do this, then I will. God, if you will, then I will. Like, that's not. Every if has to be found in here. And you need to make sure the then that's promised is alignment with the totality of scripture, not just what you want it to say in the emotions of your moment. Does that make sense? This is not, this if and then is not a way of God trying to manipulate you. And it's not a way that you can manipulate God. He says, if by faith, if you trust me, if you trust me enough to give yourself to me, all of yourself to me, then you can trust that I will give you peace and I can give you joy and I will give you identity and I will give you hope and I will give you all these things that are outside of this world and beyond this world. They're not things of the flesh. They're not material. They're things that only God can put in the heart of his people that lead to the abundant life Jesus died for us to have. If then. Jesus would say some other really hard ifs and thens that we have to wrestle with. Like in Matthew 10, 32, 
Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Keep reading that. It says, if you acknowledge me, then I'll acknowledge you. If you deny me, then I'll deny you. What about Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. There's a lot of ifs and thens we have to wrestle down woven all throughout scripture. It's not just in the New Testament. It's not just in Jesus' teachings. It's woven all throughout the Bible. This is one I heard a lot in the last few years. Second Chronicles chapter seven. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Did you notice all the things that came before the then? If you'll humble yourself, if you'll pray, if you'll seek my face, if you'll repent, then, then, look at Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 14. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 12 through 14. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season to bless all the work of your hands so you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them. Follow them. You will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. All throughout the scripture, he says, if, then, if, then, if you will, then I will. And here's the good thing about our God and what's powerful about his grace. He says, even if we get it wrong, even if we step out of line, then he's still there to offer us forgiveness when we're willing to repent and seek it out. Like 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, John says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. But whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And we read that, and we think of all the times we didn't get it right. I love the verses that precede those. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if, if anybody does sin, the good news is then we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. That if, if we sin, 
And, but if we confess and if we repent, he is faithful and true to offer us forgiveness, to restore us, to redeem us, and give us a new opportunity to walk in his grace. If then. There's some people in the room. You're waiting on a then. But he's waiting on the if. What's the if that you need to walk in to experience the then that you desire? And that the thing that stands between you and the if is faith. God's saying, just trust me. Trust me. If you will, if you'll surrender, if you'll give me that, if you'll trust me with that, if you'll put that under my authority, then this is what I'll do. This is what I'll do. What's your if? What's that then that your heart is longing for that you're just an if away from experiencing? And I also know there's people that you're like, Matt, I did. I walked in the if, but my then didn't look like I thought it would. I know that's hard to reconcile sometimes. But this is what I know. He is faithful. And even when we experience some results that we didn't think we would or hope we would go through, he's always operating according to his will, his glory, and the good of his people. And if you will just keep trusting him, then what he will do in your life is give you peace and Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, you just listen to me for just a second. I know that this is some there's some stuff that's hard to kind of reconcile and process and think through and my prayer is that the enemy wouldn't lead us down some weird dead end paths but there's one thing that we can't deny that mo most of God's promises are predicated on our willingness to trust him and walk in obedient faith And this is what I know. If you will walk in obedient trust to God, then where you will end will be okay. Even if it doesn't look okay or feel okay on this side of heaven or in the moment, what I know about his word is if you will walk in faith and trust in obedience to him, then wherever then is, leads, ends, we'll be okay. So God, I pray that you've taken the words of this mortal human and somehow used it. And God, if there is anything that I said that is contrary to your word, remove it from people's minds.
and convict me of it. God, I know that your word is littered with this pattern of calling us to trust you, to walk in faith, to see the fruit of obedience in our lives as you mold us into who you created us to be. God, help us to trust you. Help us to walk in faith and do whatever it is you're calling us to do, even if, if it's uncomfortable, if it doesn't make sense in the moment, if it's risky, help us just to follow your lead and trust you with the rest. In Jesus' name.